We're here with Jeffrey Hale, who is the Senior Vice President, America's Marketing and Business Development for ACI. Jeff, how are you doing? Very good. Thanks, Nick. Good. Glad, uh, glad you could join us. Um, listen, the first question I wanted to ask you is, you know, what, what are the chen, uh, general trends that you're seeing out there? I mean, what should be top of mind with uh, uh, financial executives these days, especially going into 2009? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think in our sphere of influence, Nick, one of the biggest things we see is just an increasing uh, concern about payments fraud and all the security and identification things that revolve around that. Um, we've done some studies over the years that suggested that electronic payments are going to grow compound over the years in sort of mid-double digits across the various kinds of payments. Mm -hmm. And I think in today's environment, it's pretty easy to see that fraud will grow even faster than that. So one of the biggest things we're actually talking to a lot of our clients about today is the notion that says, can I somehow move from the paradigm of fraud detection, in other words, after the fact I've discovered that I have an issue, and move to more fraud prevention. Right. And so there's uh, a lot of things happening to try and move more of the fraud detection techniques, whether it be rules or pattern recognition models, to the point of the transaction being acquired. So if I can cut down that amount of time between it ha when it happens and I can then discover it, that saves money, reduces back-end cost to try and manage a situation, and, uh, and creates more efficiency in the system overall. Sure. How is ACI um, sort of uh, approaching that in, in a solution uh, fashion? Yeah, we, um, we offer a range of solutions around electronic payments, including fraud detection, uh, authorization, authentication techniques in, in various fashions. And a big part of our story is really the integration of all those solutions into what we would call a hub. Right. So uh, many banks have silos where they support these different technologies, where they might have a authorization system from one vendor or maybe something they develop themselves, fraud detection software from another vendor, authentication capabilities around things like PKI from another vendor. Sure. We tend to bring the whole solution together into one integrated fashion. Uh, makes it easier to implement, uh, runs a little bit better together, runs a little more efficiently and gives the bank great scale in terms of managing these ever-increasing uh, transaction volumes. That's fantastic. I'm sure it's easier dealing with one vendor uh, on a complete solution like that. Um, listen, what advice, uh, you know, considering what you just said, obviously, you know, there's a lot of fraud going on. Um, there's uh, a tough year coming ahead uh, for a lot of institutions. What advice can you offer them, uh, you know, in the coming year? I think there's a natural tendency, uh, particularly in a conservative environment like banking, mm -hmm. to, uh, as I like to call it, hunker down, you know, batten down the hatches and maybe, you know, stop investing in some of these things as we look for maybe a turn in the market or credit to ease or what have you. Uh, our recommendation clearly would be to continue to invest in these technologies, continue to create an infrastructure that not only allows you to fend off fraud, which is the most obvious issue of the day, but also to set themselves up for what will become more growth in the market in terms of transaction volumes, uh, potential systemic risk based on the movement of paper to pulse, right. and creating an infrastructure that is uh, very much automated and integrated so that we don't have these problems emerge at even a higher level once the economy returns to more normalcy as we hope it does. Now that makes good sense. Uh, listen, Jeff, thank you for your time. And uh, we hope to see you soon. Appreciate it. Take care. We're here with uh, Jason Goodyear with Actuate Corporation. Jason, uh, what do you do for the company? 
Um, I'm a sales engineer. I deliver um, specialized product demonstrations to any of our customers. Fantastic. Well, it's good to see you at the show. Thank you. Listen, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, in the current year uh, coming up, the 2009 year, uh, what trends do you see happening? What, what should be top of mind, essentially, for financial institution executives? Basically, what we're seeing in the marketplace is that customers are demanding more interactions, okay? Um, and we can deliver rich Internet applications that allow customers to answer their own questions and do it in a way that um, is graphically pleasing. Act more like Google or Yahoo than your traditional banking um, centers. So we believe that what's coming up both for customers and within the banks themselves is there's a significant cost savings to be made by allowing people to answer their own questions. Right. So we see that as a primary motivator coming forward in that you know, obviously we've got some risks right now in the financial markets and people are looking for ways to scale back costs. Well, sure. one way to do that is to allow people to figure out what they need to know and allow them to do it themselves. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And certainly cost cutting is going to be a major factor. So how is Actuate uh, sort of approaching those issues more specifically in terms of your product? Well, our product allows um, companies to develop a a framework um, of information that they can provide to their users. It's highly scalable, highly secured, um, so you don't have to worry about people bringing down your system or getting in access to information that they're not allowed to. Right. Um, and that's what really sets us apart. We're able to deliver these things faster than just about anybody else because of our back-end framework, which incorporates object-oriented design principles, right. um, along with a scalable server architecture that can handle hundreds of thousands of users simultaneously. Great. So essentially, again, it's, it's a dashboard capability to give someone an overall uh, overview of what's going on? Yes. We, that's one of our specialties is um, these rich flash-based dashboards that allow people to get a single look at the state of the business or the state of their accounts. And then if they need to drill in further, we allow people to drill into the details. That's fantastic. That sounds like a good tool for risk management uh, and keeping an eye on the risk, overall risk in a corporation. So, uh, listen, what advice do you have? Obviously, there's going to be a, a very turbulent year coming up uh, in, the, in the current climate. What advice do you have for folks uh, thinking about the concerns we've outlined? Well, I think that my advice would be that people need to look at where their priorities lie. And like we've been talking about, we think that cost cutting is going to be one of those. As banks merge together, they're going to need to make those mergers profitable. Right. And that's going to involve some cost cutting. And so allowing people to answer their own questions is a huge time saving and a cost savings. So that's what I think the market needs to lead to. Sure. They're accelerating their decision making because they have more access to information. Yes. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic point. Well, listen, it's been great talking to you. Okay. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Nick. And hope to see you soon. Okay. We're here with uh, Evan McDonald, Offer Manager, Industry Solutions, uh, Business Data Services at AT&T. Evan, how are you doing? Hey, doing well. Thanks Good. for having me, Nick. Good. I'm glad to see you. Uh, listen, uh, tell me, uh, what do you think the major 
Uh, concerns are for financial institutions, especially in the midst of all this turmoil. What should they be thinking about in the next year? Oh boy, there's a, there's there's a lot to think about uh, right now, and um, we we see right now at, the, at this conference and when we're talking to customers that there is a need to. Uh, foster a culture of resilience uh, within banks uh, and that comes with three pillars it's risk management first and foremost risk management is now at the strategy table uh, whereas before it was um, in some cases it was an afterthought um, second it's uh, it's operational excellence and third it's uh, it's customer uh, customer experience customer experience is king uh, as uh, people are, are fighting to get uh, deposits and retain capital. Mm -hmm. No, that makes good sense. That's a lot of what we're seeing as well, but it's good to hear your perspective. So uh, how is AT&T approaching those issues? I mean, uh, what solutions are you showing? Uh, you know, what are you offering customers in the coming year? Well, start, kind of starting at each one of those pillars, I mean, just going a level deeper, it's uh, operational excellence. It really comes into a few different categories. It's reputation. Right. Uh, it is... Um, it's uh, governance. Uh, it's the uh, it's it's compliance. Not only uh, industry compliance, regulatory compliance. It's also um, uh, the corporate uh, corporations compliance uh, requirements. Right. And uh, it's it's also regulatory. I think you're going to be seeing new trends evolving uh, over the coming year uh, in that in that category. And we'll need to be able to uh, as a uh, both on the technology side as well as the bank uh, help evolve to uh, to meet that those requirements business continuity is obviously an ongoing uh, ongoing issue and then uh, the risk uh, risk of financial exposure sure um, in terms of operational excellence it really looks like um, capital retention uh, this is this is the number one uh, goal right now right, right. Um, and part and parcel with that the the uh, relative winners are uh, seeking to uh, to do mergers and acquisitions mm -hmm. uh, to position themselves well, whether that's through existing uh, assets or through TARP funds. Uh, we're also seeing streamlining uh, process and standardization from an IT perspective, mm -hmm. uh, leveraging what they have uh, better, and uh, a renewed focus on uh, leveraging analytics to mm -hmm. empower their, uh, their employees and decision makers uh, at the point of decision making, uh, especially when that, that, that window is narrow. Uh, and, and lastly, it's empowering your, your employees with the tools they need uh, to, uh, to make the right decisions uh, and, and to quicken the pace of, um, of, of common processes they're doing today. And then customer experience. Um, just real, real briefly, what we're hearing is, is a, a continued focus and an increasing uh, strategic focus around uh, investing in channels. Uh, it's the retail branch. Uh, but it's more self-service uh, online is, is of, of core focus. It's uh, mobile banking. Uh, mobile banking and payments is, is seen as an opportunity to go after new demographics uh, and, as well as uh, the uh, uh, coming generations that are, are requiring uh, that easy interaction with banks that they've come to expect with their iPod or, or things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, it's um, digital signage, and we'll be talking about that uh, on, a, on a speech later today, um, and how that can actually now be used to uh, improve the brand uh, of the bank in, in the branch, as well as off-premise locations. For example, right next to an ATM. Mm -hmm. uh, so you were asking, I'm going to back to your question, what about solutions for AT&T? We see this as um, a uh, 
an exciting opportunity for the industry. Uh, we, uh, uh, we, we think it's going to be um, an opportunity where we need to look long and hard at the ROI and make sure that it's, it's tailored to the organization. But we, we, uh, we're, we're doing that in a couple different areas. First, enterprise mobility, mm -hmm. uh, extending CRM. You've invested heavily in your sales force, you've invested heavily in, in a CRM system or a contact management system, but oftentimes 35%, uh, it's utilized 35%. Uh, when you add mobility, extend that out with it always on, uh, uh, available in, in places of convenience, uh, you, you actually see a rise to 70% utilization of your CRM system. Uh, business analytics, we don't see mobility as away from the office. It's away from your desk. Mm -hmm. And think about the, uh, the, the office, you know, the executives decision or middle management decision makers that are in conference rooms and meetings all day, but they don't have their laptop with them. But what if you can actually have the, the financial data, the business analytics data uh, at their fingertips so that they, they don't have to go back and, and, uh, and research. They've got the information they need to make informed decisions uh, mm -hmm. at, at uh, meaningful moments. So that's, uh, those are, that's kind of enterprise mobility. Um, would you like me to continue? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you could go on. Uh you know, for quite some time, but it, it sounds like you're you're approaching many of these issues. Tell me about uh, mobile banking. You know, sure. what other what other solutions are you guys offering in that regard? I would assume it's a big area for you. Yeah, so we see a um, uh, the, the companies continue to make a long term uh, bet in that area. As you know, uh, with our partnership with Firethorn, we have AT and T Mobile Banking today. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, continued interest and uh, increasing interest in that, uh, and uh, and we'll, we expect that that space to be evolving uh, in, in the in 2009. That's great. For uh, for the financial institutions going through this uh, yeah. turmoil upheaval, uh, what what advice do you have them for them in the coming year? Um, even touching on uh, new offerings or thinking of new offerings like mobile banking. Well, I'd actually take mobile banking to another level. Um, it's a uh, making that a core part of, of their of their uh, if they're if they're putting their toe in the water, they need right. to start jumping in. Um, and secondly, not just thinking about it about uh, the the um, the checking account, savings account, getting into to, uh, credit cards, but also investment products. Um, even extending out to commercial commercial banking customers uh, to do ACH transaction review and approval, mm -hmm. um, to uh, to to really go through the whole portfolio, make it easy for people to interact with the bank um, in, in a workflow that's meaningful for them. That's the increased expectation when you see uh, retail applications that allow you to track and trade uh, on their investment accounts. They're expecting that of uh, of employees. Uh, within a bank, the other thing is, uh, and lastly, it's it's um, risk management is strategic. Mm -hmm. uh, second, treat your employees like customers because if they're uh, well served, they're going you're going to retain the best and brightest, mm -hmm. and uh, and you're going to be able to meet that goal of retaining capital. And lastly, if they're be being treated well, they're going to be able to efficiently address customer needs uh, well. Uh, Extend the, and then lastly, extend that same information, and in, in oftentimes federate that that information, that customer data, out to the customer customer in meaningful ways. Whether that's online, ATM, uh, through the the various self serve channels, and uh, AT and T is uh, 
is, is here to strategically uh, provide you uh, expertise on how to, how to leverage that efficiently, leverage technology to make that happen. Uh, we bring the uh, industry expertise with the technology expertise to help you meet your business goals. That's fantastic. Well, listen, we appreciate your insights, and uh, have a good show. Hey, thank you so much. We're here with uh, James Green. Is it Jim? Jim, yes. Jim Green, who is the VP, Head of Global Financial Services for Cisco. Jim, how are you? Nick, how are you? Thanks for the time. I'm good, thank you. Uh, listen, uh, we wanted to talk to you and ask you a couple of questions. First of all, you know, what, what are the trends that you're seeing out there in the show and otherwise uh, in, in uh, financial and, and what should these financial institution executives really be concerned with in the coming year? Good questions. Really, three key trends. Trend number one is the obvious, that we're in this ditch created by the toxicity of balance sheets by a whole host of other issues that you and others have written about. So issue right. number one certainly is how the banks can stabilize. Trend number two is what we believe is nothing short of the profound transformation of retail financial services. Specifically, when you follow the numbers, there's been a precipitous decline in fee income, margin, and other measures of the industry that really suggests the industry has become commoditized. Right. It's a short shelf life of differentiation for these asset products and liability products. So trend number two is all around how to be relevant to an ever-changing and profoundly changing set of expectations of the consumer. Hmm. Trend number three is how technology, and specifically collaboration technologies, is changing how people live, work, and play, and what that really brings to bear in terms of opportunity and challenge for financial institutions. Well, that's very interesting, and I know that we just chatted about some of the uh, telepresence uh, products that you do have. Uh, what, what overall is Cisco doing to sort of approach and, and help financial institutions with these concerns? I believe at the top of the list what our clients expect from us is how to ensure that their current and target customers are what we call self-enabled. Because 26 to 30% of the loans in America in 2006 had nothing to do with the financial institution. It had everything to do with social networks, blogs, wikis, collaboration between and amongst current target customers. Right. So clients are coming to us and asking, how can I unleash the assets of my company on demand in the context that the client wants in any point of interaction, web, video, mobile device, IVR, VRU. Mm -hmm. So we, when you look at us following the money, our capital investment, firms we buy, R&D that we spend on, is principally around the whole notion of the intelligent network and collaboration tools and technologies. Because it's really the collaboration between and among customers, employees, and others that becomes the basis of relevance on commerce that consumers are expecting. Yeah. You know, obviously, we're, we're seeing uh, a lot of financial institutions interested in cost-cutting, especially in the coming year. Um, are you seeing an increase in your business, especially around telepresence, uh, because they're looking to cut down travel costs, et cetera? Absolutely. The range, even pre-crisis, but now that we're in the crisis, the range on committed reductions in costs from public institutions goes from 5% to 25%. 
So there's not a client that we work with that does not have at the top of their list revenue and cost productivity. Where they are translating that to what they spend on Cisco is principally around collaboration tools like telepresence, mm -hmm. like video expert on demand, like presence on the, on the network to identify the right expert. Because as a practical matter, there are a number of clients that have committed to the street a boosting in revenue, a reduction in OPEX. How do you do that? Well, there's a number of clients that, for example, have their commercial loan officers operating at 40% customer facing time. So how do you move that from 40% to 80%? Well, in large part, ensuring that they're connected at the right time with the right expert to present to the right client. Right, right. No, that makes sense. Uh, listen, um, in looking at the following year, uh, 2009 or the upcoming year, it, it looks to be a very turbulent year for a lot of financial institutions dealing with things like cost cutting. What advice generally do you have uh, for them going into the year? Well, there's three specific areas of advice. First and foremost, follow the money. Mm -hmm. In other words, the peanut butter approach of trying to incrementally take a little bit of cost out of all areas is insignificant and does not drive margin improvement or EBITDA. 20% of the business processes of most banks drive 80% of their OPEX. Focus on those 20%. Number two is be relevant to the customer. The fastest way for cost to be reduced in big banks is mm -hmm. to boost revenue productivity. So as you increase solicitation rate, as you increase cross-sell rate, a 100 basis point improvement on cross-sell is worth about 300 basis points drop on OPEX, so mm -hmm. revenue productivity by focusing on the customer. Right. And then number three is simplifying the whole of the architecture, application, middleware, and network, because application maintenance is about 75% of their spend on technology mm -hmm. to, keep, so, to, so to speak, keep the lights on, in large part because of the complexity. So moving to a services environment, to a SOA environment, to a simplified application and network infrastructure will drive considerable cost productivity. Makes good sense. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Nick. I appreciate your time. All right. We'll talk to you soon. We're here with uh, Joe Seleski, who's the president of ClareMail. Joe, how are you? I'm doing great, Nick. It's great to, to be here. Fantastic. Nice, nice to meet you. Uh, listen, I wanted to start off by asking you, um, what do you see as the trends out there? I mean, what, what should financial institutions really be thinking of? What's top of mind for them uh, in the coming year? Well, I think all of the financial institutions are looking at anyway, trust, security, and the relationship they have with their customer. And so what we found is that so all the, the banks, card issuers, payment processors are really looking at how do we enable a closer relationship with the customer? Mm -hmm. How do we engage the customer efficiently? How do we make them part of not just security, but you know, how do we service them better? And how do sure. we provide new opportunities to them that you know, have them worry less, have them you know, feel that we know them better? Mm -hmm. And you know, really, I think at the end, that you know, they really feel like we're helping them get to issues before they become problems. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that's a good point. Um, you told me a little bit about your product previously, uh, some great facets to that. Maybe you can tell me more about that and, and how that product is going to help these FIs in the coming year with addressing those uh, issues that you mentioned. Yeah, as we had talked about, the, you know, what's unique is that you know, an FI has a 
you know, as a true challenge. Over the past 30 years, we've done a tremendous amount to make it easy for a customer to access and manage an account. We've made it easy for a customer to access and you know, access funds, whether they be debt, debt funds, credit funds, or, or their DDA funds. But in 30 years of innovation, we haven't created one new way for the bank to access the customer and ask the customer a yes-no question. Mm -hmm. And I think the real advantage to mobile and what makes us very different from everyone else is that we provide an infrastructure to the bank that allows it to to receive data from different types of back-end systems, whether it's debit or credit or online, et cetera, and conditionally event out to the customer. And if you really look at your mobile mobile phone, it's more of a reactive device than a proactive device. Mm-hmm. You know, you're reacting to a little stimulus. You know, oh, I forgot to transfer money to my daughter Jessica, right. so I'm going to try to do it while it's front of mind, right, before I forget again. Um, the other side is, you know, it's an opportunity for the bank to reach out to me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no question the mobile phone is the fastest way to reach the customer, but in most cases, the customer doesn't want to be called. But the customer does want to be alerted if there's a card not present transaction on the internet or a low balance transaction or a deposit transaction. Really, that's the ability of the bank to engage the customer in reactive account management. You know, your alarm clock is reactive. You know, you, it wakes you up, you know, and then you start your day. So you really trust the technology to event to you when it, you're needed when you know when when that set time has come for your alarm clock or when that set amount has come on your balance. Right. So you know a unique opportunity because not only can I event to you, but I can get a response back. You know that classic security question when Falcon has accepted a transaction that is still suspect. You know, is this transaction you? Mm-hmm. Now it's also a huge opportunity because there's there's a number of facets that you want to be evented to. Right. I want to know about this. I want to know about this. These will let me worry less, feel the bank is serving me more, mm-hmm. there's other things that the bank wants to event to us. You know, Falcon was a perfect example, but it may be NSF, maybe other things where today, you know, they would be noticing you through mail, or it may be a bill due. Do you want to pay this now? Um, and then there's a huge opportunity, as we were talking about a little earlier, as you start to reach out to the customer for this types of account management, you now open up a new dialogue with the customer where you can do more to drive loyalty. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that's really a thing we call free money. So it's not just about worrying less and a better way of managing my accounts on an exception basis, etc., you know, being engaged in the process, but it's also about knowing my transaction data and, and actually harnessing that to serve me better. So one of the things uh, we were saying is that in 30 years, you know, we've used statementing data, which is more and more marked by merchant, right, because we use credit card or debit card. We've got all that statementing data um, that we use for, for statementing and for security, but we've never actually harnessed it to deliver new value to the customer. So this, this product we call free money is rolling out at the banks where retailers, you know, will be able to send you money. Mm-hmm. Basically say, Nick, you've got money. You know, uh, a little bit better than the AOL commercial. You've got mail, which now means you have spam. Um, but basically, you've got a $30 time-expiring credit. You've got $30 to go spend at Best Buy before Sunday. Mm-hmm. Now, that's tied to where you typically shop. That's either Best Buy trying to improve the frequency of your shopping, right, get you in again, and that amount of the credit tied to what you typically spend. And now, again, the bank's not sharing your data with Best Buy. They're just making it possible for Best Buy to treat good customers 
or competitors' customers mm-hmm. to some money. Now, the, the wonderful thing about this is there's no, you know, there's no coupon, there's no funds, there's just a potentiality that the same eventing infrastructure is watching for. Now, when we detect the difficult needle in a haystack, Nick's card at Best Buy within time frame, right. we then send Nick another message before Nick can get out of the line, which just says, Nick, you just got your credit. Thanks for shopping at Best Buy. And we do the offset, the debit from the promotions account, the credit to Nick's account. Right. So here what we've just done is given you money. And, you know, as you know, we're suffering in a, in a challenged economic time where retailers don't have the money to advertise inefficiently. What's amazing about the bank is basically they're Google with transaction data, right? Instead of what you're searching for, this is what you've done in the past and how they can serve you better. Mm-hmm. You know, loyalty programs at most banks today are mileage entitlements that really eat up interchange. Right. And right. for most of us, they become less and less valuable. For most of us, the fastest way to get us to do something is to pay us. And, you know, to make it possible for a retailer to pay the customer. And again, what's, what's unique about this is the bank, you know, has, makes now a happy customer. They just got free money from a retailer they like. Mm-hmm. The bank gets paid a CPA, cost per action, if Nick shops. We limit, because of the rights as part of our license, how many messages Nick can get per week. So no institution will send more than two messages a week. Right. So that means that Nick's interests and the bank interests are aligned. Right? We're not going to spam Nick. <laughs> we only get paid if Nick buys. So we're, we're going to make sure that these things that Nick gets sent matter to Nick. Yeah. Right? And we also have the, the, the holy grail of, of incentives. We actually have closed loop. So we not only saw what incentive, we saw that it worked. We saw how much Nick spent. So the CPA the bank receives will be you know, one CPA for getting Nick to shop. Another, perhaps, CPA if Nick went and bought a flat screen TV and spent over $1,000 at Best Buy. So again, you know, uh, on 7 million transactions, this could actually generate about a billion dollars in new revenue for a card issuer. Great value for them, great value for the customer. And it's the exact same infrastructure that's being used to event to you based on activity on your card, you know, event to you based on activity in your account and help you manage the account. Well, it sounds like a great solution, and I, I can say that Nick would appreciate all that. <laughs> I'm sure Nick would love that. Uh, but generally, it sounds like a great solution, and I'm sure our readers would like to learn more about that. So, um, well, thank you, and, and we're we're very happy. We've got some great announcements that have come out of this show. You know, one of our announcements was that uh, we've seen adoption. You know at our customers that's at least five times the industry average. Mm -hmm. So we've now seen in very short periods of time 25% of online banking customers at some of our customers becoming mobile banking customers. Excellent. And uh, interesting enough, we're also seeing that's just if with mobile with uh, online enrollment. The minute ATM enrollment and IVR enrollment are brought up at those customers, we expect even greater penetration across the broader audience, especially Mm -hmm. in card. Um, We also made the announcement with Fidelity today so that, you know, as you're listeners are looking for, you know, uh, the next steps. You know, Mm -hmm. Fidelity Information Systems is one of our managed service providers, and we just announced that two of our customers are now live, two customers that came in, community banks at Cascade and Bank of Scotia, came in that are currently Fidelity customers are now up and running 
in the Fidelity Managed Service. We're the core of the Fidelity two-way mobile banking infrastructure. Um, so very exciting because this is the first managed service provider. There have been other announcements. These are the first customers up and running long before anybody else will be available. Um, we made an announcement with uh, probably one of the best names in security. Uh, you know in the past we've uh, announced and we're partnered with VeriSign. Sure. Well, Dbold, I think by most people in banking, is known for secure vaults, secure ATMs, and one of the largest providers of ATM and ATM software. Right. We're very excited about the commercial relationship that they're bringing, both in distribution for us internationally in the U.S., um, and service providing in that, that area. But also, obviously, there's an opportunity for us to improve enrollment for mobile and improve security at ATMs sure. all through this relationship. That sounds like great things are happening. Um, any parting advice for our financial audience? Uh, you know, I think that in this time, you know, we have a, a, a real opportunity to engage the customer. And I would strongly suggest that everybody understand that it's not about the customer to the bank. Mm -hmm. It's a bank, about the bank to the customer. And that the mobile device is... You know, a unique two-way channel of customer interaction. So I think the most important part is start. It's not difficult to get, get the beginnings started, get your short code up, get the infrastructure up, and begin the interaction. It's easy to, from that platform with SMS and mobile web, perhaps, to then engage across other products and engage across you know, other technologies. Sure. Great. Well, Joe, thank you, and uh, we hope to see you soon. Thank you very much, Nick. It's been a pleasure. We're here with uh, Tony Demolis uh, with Diebold and Terry Ipsen of Diebold. Tony, maybe you can tell us uh, what you do for the company. Uh, I'm Vice President Technology for the Global Security Division. My job is to look at integrated solutions and blend some of our products into a holistic concept for our customers. Fantastic. And Terry, what do you do for the company? I'm the product marketing manager for our ATM security uh, and fraud solutions, and my job is to promote and leverage Diebold's uh, experience in security. Fantastic. It's good to see you both. Uh, listen, the first question I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, we, we've been at the show for a couple days. Uh, you've obviously talked to a lot of uh, financial institutions. What do you think should be uh, top of mind with them? What, what should they be concerned with in the coming year? Well, one aspect uh, of concern would be who are they doing business with and are they who they truly say they are um, to be who they are. So we have an identity and an authentication uh, interest and we provide uh, a solution that allows them to uh, normalize that into a back-end uh, infrastructure that will give them support on helping them identify, authenticate, and be able to allow systems to use those identities for uh, risk management, fraud protection, and uh, return on investment. Sure. No, that sounds, uh, that sounds right on target. Um, you know, you've showed me a number of products, uh, specifically the anti-skimming product, and uh, the product here, which is named? Credential One, Credential which is a credential One. management solution. Fantastic. Maybe you can tell me more about that. Uh, it seems very pertinent to the concerns that we're talking about. Uh, okay, no problem. The Credential One trade name uh, came about because we believe that every individual is a unique individual, but they can be identified through a number of different credentialing elements, data elements. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be broken down into like three categories. One would be a biographical set of information right. uh, or demographic information. Uh, the second category would be biometric, 
and the third would be any type of digital information that can be used for uh, electronic authentication, uh, encryption, and signing of email, and using that digital certificate to um, uh, embark on a way to have communication beyond just the biographical and, and biometric in authenticating to machines and so forth. And we brought all those together by an, an enrollment process where we capture all of those three categories through that registration of all that information and sort in a secure environment and right. then ask the customer how he wants to use it. So if an individual needs a simple uh, access privilege to open a door or he needs maybe a biometric to log onto a computer, uh, maybe a strong authentication to get into an application, right. uh, basically what we call PACS and LACS, P-A-C-S, LACS, physical access control systems and logical access control systems, and we blended that together in a converged solution so that one credential that has been vetted and is stored can now be pushed either to a physical system or to a logical system and then authenticate access to each one based on the policy of the organization. That's fantastic, and as we said, it can be rolled into role uh, based provisioning as well? Uh, based on the profiles that you identify, whether it be a unique card or a category of individual, an executive or a manager, um, a, um, a group of individuals that have privileges that are based on that role, then right. we set up the workflow policy to allow that to be uh, how we provision the system. Fantastic. Well, listen, another product which interested me when you all showed me the demo a moment ago um, was anti-skimming uh, and the anti-skimming based product. Maybe uh, you can tell me more about that, Terry. Sure. Our advanced skimming detection technology was launched late last year. Um, it has been integrated into all of uh, Optiva's motorized card readers since January 1 of this year, and we're going to be introducing the same solution in our DIP card reader early next year. Um, the technology works with um, uh, a proprietary algorithm that Diebold has uh, engineered specifically for our, our card readers that's able to detect a skimmer sure. uh, of any design or uh, size or material. Um, it's also able to discern whether or not it's normal hand and card movement or environmental conditions like rain or snow. So sure. it, it really has a, a great um, way of avoiding false alarms. So once the um, technology detects the skimmer, it sends right. a, an alert either um, at the customer's choice to either up through the host um, or it can go through an alarm panel which could then in turn be sent to um, an alarm monitoring center such as Diebold's right. uh, to bank security personnel. Uh, if they do choose to send the status message up through the host, they can actually shut the terminal down um, if they choose to, to do that to help um, deter any more card, um, card reads from the skimmer. That's fantastic. And from what I understand, you can even, uh, you know, see when that card skimmer approximately was put on. You can backtrack and try to figure out who actually perpetrated that. Yes, if you, if you have um, the camera um, tied to a DVR, um, they can match the transaction information with the image and then be able to determine at what point in time um, the fraud took place. That's great. Certainly useful to uh, financial institutions trying to track down the bad guys. Um, generally speaking, what do you guys see as the... Um, uh, you know, as general advice that you can offer up, uh, maybe as a 
uh, a backdrop to these technologies to financial institutions dealing with these uh, anti with these skimming and and uh, you know uh, I identity would, um, based problems. I would suggest that uh, an approach would be one of a holistic nature, where if we're talking about identity and access management, right. uh, look at all of the areas where a valid ID is going to be required and bring that into a solution that can be done in a, a cost-effective economy of scale fashion. So rather than having a number of different silos or dedicated solutions that may or may not be interoperable, right. uh, look at it from a holistic concept, deploy a solution that is integrated so that if you have a single credential, for example in my Credential One opportunity, by provisioning that we can also deprovision that and take that information out of those systems. Now you don't leave any back door mm -hmm. open uh, that you fail to, to deprovision and that becomes the back door that uh, is vulnerable um, for your organization and now allowing people to come into that and perpetrate uh, things that you prefer them not to do. Sure. Uh, and in that sense we can provide a way to um, mitigate fraud, mitigate risk, and mm -hmm. provide a, uh, a simple management tool that could also produce return on investment. So cost effectiveness today is, is paramount and we provide the technology to make that um, uh, efficient to accomplish. Yes, uh, certainly it's going to be a turbulent year and I'm sure they'll appreciate that cost savings right? Uh, as well as, as the anti-skimming uh, product. Um, listen, thank you very much for your time and uh, have you. a great show. Thank you. We're here with uh, Dennis Macon, Executive Vice President, Financial Services Solutions for Digital Resolve. How are you, Dennis? Very good. Nice to be here. Good. Nice to meet you. Uh, listen, maybe you can tell us, um, just from your perspective, uh, you know, in the midst of the turmoil that's been going on, uh, in light of the product offering that you have, uh, what should uh, financial institutions be uh, thinking of in the coming year? Ah, that's a good question. Uh, it is a mess out there right now. Uh, one of the things I think that everybody needs to keep in mind when you're thinking of fraud detection and fraud prevention is criminals aren't going to go away. In fact, everything I see and hear in this stage of the economy and heading into a recession, if we're not there already, criminals are becoming more and more advanced and growing in numbers and fraud it tends to grow in these periods of time so you can't take fraud detection lightly you need to still protect your online channels and the other channels that you have with a system that is proactive flexible and easy to adjust to the changes in the environment that the criminals will will take and become uh, accustomed to, if you will, here in the near future and even beyond that until the economy strains out and, and then the criminals believe the investment's coming back into the marketplace to help fight this type of activities, then they'll go on to other areas and look for other things to do. Sure. No, I think you're right. We're seeing a, a lot of the same information from other vendors as well. So uh, tell us, um, you know, how is Digital Resolve approaching these, these concerns? How can you help financial institutions? Well, our product that we've had in the marketplace has been proven for the last four or five years uh, in the market space. Uh, it's on the uh, fourth generation of the product. Mm -hmm. uh, what we have done over the past couple years is invest not only in the platform that we've had, but also we've purchased uh, a transaction monitoring company. And over the course of the last year, we've been taking that product 
and putting it into our, uh, tr our original fraud analyst solution so that now that you can have one solution that protects the full life cycle of the customer from the uh, customer acquisition stage all the way through to the day-to-day -day activities. Right. So you're looking at login authentication for the multi-factor, mm -hmm. but you're also looking at the transactions and looking for anomalies in how your consumers are behaving. Sure. Uh, and and how, uh, are, how are you guys differentiated maybe from other folks out there that, that are offering these things as well? I mean, what makes Digital Resolve different? Yeah, that's a great company. Uh, thing, one of the things that makes us stand out is we have the financial strength of a very large parent, but yet we are uh, a nimble, smaller company than some of our competitors, and it enables us to build off the philosophy we started the company with, and that is customer support mm -hmm. and, and working with customers from the start of a deployment through through every day that they're using the product. Uh, and our customers, I think every one of them will tell you that the support that we put out there is fantastic and far, far superior than what the marketplace is seeing today. Um, in addition, they, and the product is proven. It, it works very well. We've They've been in deployment with major institutions in North America for the last four years. Uh, never had an issue and saved them quite a bit of money in reducing their, their fraud expenses. No, that's great. Uh, well, listen, uh, obviously in the next year there's going to be a lot for financial institutions to deal with, right? Uh, and, and we all think there's going to be more regulation coming down the pike. What, what advice do you have for uh, financial institutions with all these issues they have to grapple with? That, that's a very good question. <laughs> I wish we all had a crystal ball and said, you know, this is going to end and this is where we're going to be. But I, I think one of the keys is... and from my experience within a smaller company is you have to be you have to be nimble because there are going to be changes and you have to be uh, looking in, into the future and anticipating those changes and being able to move to, to adjust to those uh, but it all comes down to you know when you're looking at the online channel where our products participate it's a great channel that's going to continue to grow and you, the institutions are going to continue to use it to gather customers and, and have them conduct their business. You need to protect those channels and protect the dollars there. And so having systems and philosophies or strategies in place that enable those customers or the institutions to move with the fraud and to stay ahead of it, but also have the flexibility when government regulation comes in and says you have to do this, this, and this, that they can move through that pretty quickly. That makes good sense. Hey, uh, Dennis, thank you for your time. Thank you, Nick. We're here with uh, Adam Dolby, who is the Director of Strategic Alliances at Vasco. Adam, how are you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you, Nick. How are you? Good, good. It's good to see you. Uh, listen, what I wanted to chat with you about today is, um, you know, a couple things. Uh, first, you know, in looking uh, at the market, uh, what do you think uh, financial institutions should really be most concerned with in the coming year? Uh, you know, what should be top of mind for them? Uh, what, what Vasco's seen um, is a, a, a bit of a, a continuation of what we've 
previously seen for authentication in the market space. Um, it, it's continuing to evolve beyond uh, strong authentication in its initial forms. Mm -hmm. the, the line of thinking at, at most banks that we talk to today is the rush for FFIC compliance is finally over. Now we have to actually take an eye towards security. Right. Uh, so it becomes more a question of how do we properly protect the user after we satisfy compliance issues? What is the solution that we need to have in place? both for today, but more importantly, looking at what types of threats are emerging in that space for tomorrow. Right. No, that makes good sense, especially, uh, you know, now that uh, a lot of these incidences have happened over the past year um, to, uh, you know, breach things, I guess they really have to concentrate more on, um, you know, customer experience and, and making sure that those guys are protected. It, not only that, but also now is the time that they have to protect their brand. It, a, a breach right now when consumer confidence in the financial industry is shaky at best, if there was a publicized breach for any financial institution, that could really be catastrophic now. Exactly, to their reputation. That's a good point. Um, listen, uh, so considering what you just outlined, you know, how is uh, Vasco approaching those concerns? I mean, what, what are you doing? What are you pushing at the show? So we're... Vasco doesn't really push any particular product uh, per se, so we're, we're known throughout the industry very strongly as a hardware token uh, key fob manufacturer. Um, what we've done, though, is, is uh, kind of a shift from that, that core philosophy to say, let's not consider what type of thing you're trying to put in the user's hand for better security. Instead, let's look at what you're trying to accomplish, and we'll design a solution around that. With that in mind, what Vasco's done is, um, at, at BAI, certainly we're uh, promoting our mobile solution. So it's the ability to allow your phone to emulate a hardware token mm -hmm. so that you can take a lot of the previous concerns around uh, distribution and fulfillment out of the equation. You can now just provision uh, a, a little bit of code to a phone that can work and, and be used as a token. Right. That has a, a couple advantages. One, it, it's a significant cost savings in a time when every bank is looking for significant cost savings, but also it's being put onto a platform that the user has shown that they want to carry. Right? It's, it's something that they've probably purchased or their company has allocated to them, which means they're, they're more receptive to the idea of using it for more and more things. Mm -hmm. Certainly the, the iPhone has kind of shown that, right? It's right. The, I want to be able to put everything I possibly can on this. It, it's becoming very close to a, a computer in and of itself. Now you can use it for, for additional security. We can do that in a couple of ways. One, it allows for the use, again, as an emulation of a hardware token, per se, where you can display a one-time password, and I can show you a demo here as well, and use it for uh, access over traditional internet methods, so key it in at your keyboard. Sure. But we can also work with mobile banking providers like an MCOM or an MFoundry or Modbus, where we can integrate our technology directly in the mobile banking app, so, so that means that you can use it for additional security over the air, right. but it also means that it, if it's in the app, you don't have to have two things on your phone. So if it is a mobile banking customer, we can integrate our security into the mobile app so that, again, it's, it's looking towards convenience. Right. And, and that's Vasco's philosophy at this point, certainly moving forward, is how can we leverage the computing power, the space um, that's available on so many of these things that users carry, whether it's a phone, whether it's a, a, a smart card that you have to badge into your building. Mm -hmm. uh, all of those things have the opportunity to be used 
with authentication or, or to carry authentication on them. So, so let's, instead of considering how we have to deploy something else for authentication, right. we want to approach people and say, let's use what you already have in the field and see how we can deploy this in a manner that's convenient and, and simple. Using existing infrastructure. Exactly. It, deploying it on existing infrastructure, really minimal changes to the user experience, dramatically improving security. It's kind of the, the best of all worlds. That's great. Well, listen, uh, obviously it's uh, bound to be somewhat of a turbulent year uh, for many institutions. What, what advice can you offer them, um, you know, obviously in the context of, of what Vasco does? Sure. The way that we're approaching, certainly 2009, we've We've actually, from a company standpoint, Vasco has actually seen, kind of further to my point before, that it's it's now critical for people to deploy additional security, right. and and you know, kind of the the running joke at Vasco is if you weren't watching all the news and CNN and everything else, we wouldn't really know that there's a recession. The, our orders are still very strong. Clearly, the the banks that have have cared about and want to deploy security are continuing to do so, and they remain very aggressive with it. It's it's one of those things that really is tough to cut out of a budget, uh, in in terms of are you going to sacrifice security for your online users? And right. again, it's it's making sure that to those banks that haven't deployed yet, or, or those banks that are worried about the sort of the coming year, my advice from a security standpoint is um, number one, you should be taking a look at as I mentioned what threats are coming. Um, it, Certainly, they've seen more uh, aggressive attacks overseas that have targeted additional security. All of that is migrating this way. So Vasco's been very aggressive in trying to educate uh, financial institutions in what the emerging threats look like for our space. Um, and, and we do you know, sort of monthly webinars to try to, to do that. Um, I also am a big advocate. Um, my, my background is actually in the financial industry, so I'm a, a big advocate of doing your annual security reviews. That you, now is probably most important. Uh, right. It's one of those things that if you're worried about whether or not your desk is going to be there in the morning, it's very easy to let something like that slip. It, you have to remain vigilant in terms of security. Again, something that happens to your brand at this point would, could could be catastrophic for it, um, and and consumers at this point, and certainly a, a large number of the sort of the mass media are looking for a, a reason to trumpet something else that it's another crack in the in the armor or so. So again, making sure that you're prepared for for both for today and and what you can see um, that's coming down the road. That's that's my best advice: is stick to your to your plan. Look at your transaction sets. See what threats are facing that. Look at what your consumers are demanding, and and make sure you're adjusting accordingly. That seems like very good advice. Hey, Adam. Thanks very much. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. We're here with uh, Lori Hood, Vice President, Product Management, uh, Enabling Technologies at Equifax. Lori, how are you? I'm fine, Nick. Thank you. Good. Nice to see you. Also, uh, Philip Elwin uh, at Equifax. Philip, what do you do for the company? Uh, I oversee sales for our technology services. Fantastic. Nice to see you as well. Thank you. Uh, listen, I wanted to chat with you all today um, to, first of all, get a sense of the industry, how, how you're seeing it uh, in terms of, you know, what should be top of mind for financial institutions out there today? What, what should they be thinking about? Uh, I traveled uh, the country uh, uh, all the time, visiting with banks and credit unions, both customers and prospects, and I'm seeing uh, different areas of concern for them. Uh, but 
primarily what I'm seeing is uh, certainly a, a large shift in uh, risk management strategies and philosophies as a result of the changing economic times. And uh, the banks and credit unions that I'm visiting with are certainly focused on applying these changes of risk management strategies on the fly, having tools uh, that enable them to do that, uh, not only on the technology side, the rules, but also access to the data sources to help them make good decisions. Mm -hmm. The second big area that I see of concern to them is relationship management. Uh, we've talked about uh, cross-selling and relationship management for years in the banking and credit union space, but uh, certainly uh, we, we haven't done it very, very well. Uh, now with new data sources and technology, uh, we're able to push out good data uh, through technology to, uh, to pre-screen applicants, to cross-sell additional products and services, and I'm glad to see that the, the financial institutions are now taking advantage of that and, and applying process around that. And then the third, of course, is compliance. Red flag certainly comes to mind to everyone, but it's all of the, the compliance requirements. It just, it just can't be done manually anymore, that an automated process needs to be in place to uh, manage uh, compliance. Right, right. Yeah, that, that's a lot of what we're seeing as well, especially uh, compliance is the number one topic on our site. Uh, and certainly red flags is very prevalent. Uh, Lori, maybe you can get into uh, what else you all are seeing, maybe some more of the detail. Well, sure. On the red flag side, that's clearly um, a big focus for our customers right now. I think a lot of them are sort of relieved that some of the compliance has been pushed off for a while, but they still have to deal with the address discrepancy today. Mm -hmm. um, what we see them trying to do is look at solutions that cover a lot of the red flag needs, but also are balancing the level of risk that they're taking on with the customer experience. Back to what Philip said, you know, we see people focused on relationship management. They want to interact with their customers, but they need to mitigate the risk in that through um, verification and authentication techniques and products, but also while still having a positive customer experience and not seeing abandonment and not seeing high dissatisfaction. So we see people trying to kind of balance that in a very challenging economy. Interesting. Well, let me ask you both, I mean, considering what you've just outlined, uh, and again, we're seeing many of the same things, what is Equifax doing to approach all those concerns? We've got some capabilities really in two areas, from the data standpoint and from a technology standpoint. And what we're looking at doing is applying those capabilities and modeling to be able to be more predictive in terms of the level of risk that someone's taking on, especially in the fraud and red flag area. Bringing a lot of resources to bear to try to figure out, is this a valid identity? And then what are the chances that, that the person interacting with you is who they say they are? So we've got underlying technology to help with online interactions or interactions in a call center and a branch, and then we can bring a variety of data assets together to help make that process flow more smoothly. Fantastic. That's exactly correct. And and while while we're doing that, we're not negatively impacting the user experience, which is also very important, right? So it's important to not only the user, but the financial institution as well. Right. So as we uh, integrate the data with the technology, performing steps and process in real time, uh, it, it uh, doesn't negatively af affect the user and makes a very pleasing experience to cross-sell additional services and products and, and uh, managing risk. Fantastic. It also helps the financial institution in automating their policy across the different channels and sort of taking out um, 
taking the people aspect out of it. So mm -hmm. you're getting consistent deployment of policy in a time where, again, regulatory compliance is very important, and they're able to push that through their different channels, treating customers appropriately across all of them. So that's, I think, also important to a lot of our customers as well. Yeah, I, I'm sure. Um, you know, what advice, I mean, this year coming up, 2009, uh, it's bound to be a very challenging year for financial institutions. Uh, what advice can you offer them uh, in, in the context of, of what you're offering? Well, I would certainly be open to uh, technology adoption mm -hmm. and accepting what that technology can bring to your institution. So oftentimes we, f we find that the implementation uh, of technology and uh, using new data sources is not readily acceptable or they want to use old process with new technology. Right. I think they need to be open to using the tools that are available to them and I think they're going to find pleasantly surprised at the automation and the consistent application of their strategies can be. I think our customers, too, and, and folks in financial services are going to need to be really aware on two fronts. Fraud continues, the pace of it increase, evolve, and you've got to stay ahead of it, and you've got to partner with vendors who are focused on it and who are going to bring you best practice and bring you tools. On the credit risk side, you know, the, the changing economy, people need to be on top of what they're doing from a policy standpoint and how those policies are performing mm -hmm. and looking at the most current data in terms of um, of what's happening with different scores and score bands and that kind of stuff and and where many of our customers would set a policy and then just leave it in place I think they're going to have to be much more active both on the fraud side and the risk side that's great well uh, let's and, and across all channels I'd like to yes. say also uh, you know a lot of our um, customers we see are ignoring the the web channel and right. they don't they, and they don't need to do that anymore they can be they can secure their risk uh, very easily over the uh, web anymore and that's the most uh, prevalent up-and-coming channel that they're going to have in years to come sure I, I think they're going to be looking to take advantage of any channel that they can get exactly. so if you can make them more comfortable with the risk I think that's fantastic that's exactly right Listen, uh, thank you both for your time. Thank and you. We'll talk to you soon. We're here with uh, Andy Anderson from eSeq. And uh, Andy, what do you do for the company? I'm, I function as the president of the company, but we're also actively involved in marketing issues, etc. We're not a very large organization, so we have multiple, multiple jobs, but uh, that's essentially what I do, all the marketing for it. That's great. How are you doing today? Very good. Outstanding, actually. Yeah. Good, good. Listen, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, sort of, you know, in the context of the show, what are you seeing as the major trends out there? What should be top of mind for these financial institutions going into 2009? Well, we, we tend to believe it's obviously it's security is the biggest issue. And, uh, and our, our, our focus, of course, is to, is to enable that security to be taken to a new level, especially in vetting new customers to a bank and also to uh, authenticate just exactly who you're talking to when someone's across, or, across the counter from you. Right, right. Well, um, you know, considering that, I know there's a, uh, certainly one of the big issues that we're focusing on is ID theft with the red flag rules that are in place that requiring uh, banks to essentially protect the uh, consumer from ID theft. Um, you know, how is eSeq uh, approaching those concerns? Well, we've been active in the banking area for a couple of years now, actually, and there's some uh, resellers we have that sell products into the banking community for a new account setup. 
<clears throat> what we're introducing now is a new technology into this area to vet the person coming across the, the counter to you. As an example, uh, we have a device called our Model 500. This device is an identity card authenticator, and this will authenticate virtually any card. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, you insert the card into the device, it bombards it with multiple different light sources, not only reading all the electronic information on a card, but it also looks inside the card and pulls off all the security features that are built into the card. Interesting. And all cards have some type of hidden security features, and once you tell the device what to look for, it will go in and pull it out and actually vet that card. And you can also be online with that information and submit it out to multiple other sources to more or less vet that other piece of the information like social security numbers, etc. Right. And so it gives you, it raises the bar significantly on theft, ID theft especially, and knowing who that person is. You've got a new, a new view of this person that you had before you walked in the door. So essentially with one swipe of your ID card, your license, you can uh, read the 2D barcode. Right. You can visualize the underlying, uh, right. well, maybe you can tell me all the different facets that it reads. Sure. It'll, uh, when you insert the card, it takes about three seconds, and during that three-second period of time, it reads whatever is on the card. It can okay. be a magnetic stripe, it can be a 2D barcode, it can be a one-dimensional barcode, and then it also decodes that information and provides right. that to the source. So, in other words, you get the data, electronic data, submitted to the source or, or to the device. Sure. And in addition, you hit this, for example, with an infrared light. Mm -hmm. And the infrared light will look inside the card and pull off inks, as an example, and say that uh, the face of the person should disappear if I hit it with infrared light. You hit it with the infrared light and you validate that that actually happens. That means that right. the card is probably correct. Uh, it doesn't mean that the card is not. However, it raises the bar so high mm -hmm. that you've, uh, it probably goes as high a level as you're going to get in today's technology to vet that card. That's fantastic. Well, it sounds like a good device, and I've seen it work. Uh, it uh, seems like a fairly complete solution. So, you know, this coming year, it's going to be very tough for financial institutions. you have yes. any parting advice on especially how uh, they should be thinking about approaching ID theft solutions? Uh, we think with, with our device that, you know, there's obviously a lot of fraud in the marketplace, and probably this year there's going to be, can potentially be a lot more fraud in the marketplace. Sure. And with this technology, we believe we can help the banks minimize that level of fraud by eliminating that, that incorrect account being set up and draining the resources of the operation. Yeah, I believe it. It's a fairly slick solution. So, uh, listen, have a great show. We appreciate your time and hope to see you soon. Very good. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. We're here with uh, Sam Kilmer, Vice President, uh, Market Development. Uh, Scott Hansen, Executive VP, Integrated Solution Group, both with uh, Harlan Financial Solutions. And Jeff Marshall, VP, General Manager, Electronic Banking Business. Uh, again, for Harlan Financial Solutions. How are you, gentlemen? Doing good. Doing great. Good, good. Listen, I, I'm glad you could sit down and, and chat for a moment. Uh, really what we're interested in finding out is, from the Harlan perspective, uh, what do you see as the major trends out there? What, what should be top of mind with these uh, decision makers uh, at financial institutions? Well, I think as uh, 2008 sort of draws to a close and we look into 2009, uh, there's really three areas that we that we're really focusing on and that we've we're hearing from our clients uh, in the marketplace and prospects and that is risk number one number two would be uh, strategic expense management 
And the third would be a, just a review and a look at their retail delivery infrastructure, especially at this particular event. Sure. And so from a, from a risk management standpoint, obviously there's the operational risk and then there's the credit risk. And uh, we are a, a major solutions provider of credit management solutions and credit risk management solutions. So that's been a growth area for us. A lot of conversations around that. Even at this event, which is not historically about credit, but credit is top of mind for everyone right sure now. Sure it is, yeah. So, so there's that part of risk management, and there's the operational risk management of um, are, we, uh, are, we, are we looking at our organization and taking into account all the potential risks that are out there. And uh, Jeff actually, uh, Jeff Marshall here actually uh, leads up our electronic banking business, and we're seeing a lot of increased uh, activity in the area of outsourced uh, online electronic banking. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's really for two reasons from a risk standpoint. Uh, one is is that um, uh, people look at uh, an internet banking solution as being a potentially high risk area for things like fraud and other types of sure. risk. And the second thing is is uh, uh, when you're looking to an outsourced service provider, you're able to take care, of, uh, take advantage of a shared services environment, and also uh, help out on the expense side a little bit. Right. So save a little bit of money in the process. Uh, so that's from a risk standpoint, Jeff. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that at all. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that's a good point. the The risk of, of logging into internet banking is is moderate, but it can be high if we have keystroke loggers and we have PCs that aren't protected. So we're taking more of a position of can we create consumer convenience as well as reduce risk by doing more push technology. Alerts is a good example. Packaging up a dashboard of information every day so that you can walk in and have an anticipation that here's your data, here's the the account balances, maybe some transactional history, positive pay, those kinds of things. And we see that really is a usability in the business banking side, but as a risk reduction on the on the retail side. That's fantastic. Anything to add as far as uh, trends go? Yeah, I'll, I'll add one other thing, and it, and it kind of ties together the operational risk as well as uh, some of the elements Jeff talked about on the internet banking space. You know, if you, if you take a look at what a financial institution is dealing with now, in in-house or outsourced, the complexity of the security environment is growing at an exponential rate. It's hard enough for all of us who do this for a living to keep up with it. You take a bank IT department, particularly the community bank, who doesn't necessarily have full-time security resources, um, it's a it's a big challenge for them. Sure. And one of the things that we recognized early on is you take a look at the full um, complexion of um, electronic banking, whether it's the retail internet banking piece, a, uh, a business banking or cash management component, a mobile banking component, and a voice banking component. Each one of those has... Um, monumental security issues associated with them, but also very different elements, all right? Internet banking being very outwardly focused, Mm -hmm. as is business banking. Business banking has the additional element of having to manage the security of many, many users in an enterprise. Mobile banking, of course, not only has the element of uh, exposure to the internet, but, um, you know, hardware issues and so forth. Voice banking has its own security issues. One of the things that we've been able to do is make sure that we're actually dealing with basically a single electronic banking system with single ability to manage the security elements in a hosted environment so that the uh, user interface, whether it is in the form of a phone, a desktop PC, uh, Microsoft Surface display, a uh, console in a business where the cash management folks are running, regardless of how the system manifests itself, 
single unified technology beneath the surface. Uh, what we don't want to do is see a client have to have a completely parallel set of practices and procedures for internet banking and then make the decision to go to retail mobile banking and have right. to launch into a whole second set of conditions. Learn the different environment, learn the different platform, have parallel security setups, have the, have the customer the consumer have to have do two different sets of security logins. Sure. The consumer shouldn't have to have different security practices just because they chose to interact with the bank from the mobile device one hour after they interacted with the internet banking device. Right, right. So one of the trends that we're seeing and, and helping lead, I think, is the unification of the technology so that the banker doesn't have to worry about the administration of security and the integration and that we've simplified it to the point that it's one animal, not 15 animals. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's something that Jeff's business has been very focused on over the last year or two. Yeah, that that actually transitions into the next question. Uh, you, you've mentioned a unified approach. Um, how else is is Harland approaching all of these sort of issues that we we've, we've outlined? And I know that is one aspect of it. Is there any any other um, uh, benefits that you're you're highlighting at the show? Is yeah. Uh, well, we talked about risk. Sure. I think the other piece that we really had explored too much was expense management. Um, and going into 2009, a lot of bankers out there, they're thinking, you know, we need to prepare uh, for maybe a little bit more of a rugged environment out there. Right. And so one of the things that we've seen a lot more of, and we think we'll see more of going into 2009, is a review of their branch infrastructure. So in, in parallel with their online banking and their mobile banking, mm-hmm. is looking at their branch uh, infrastructure. And specific to that, I mean, we've announced this week um, uh, the... Uh, addition of a, a new client, a branch automation client, a $2.5 billion bank that's using uh, our branch environment, our branch solution Encore, right. in addition to our business intelligence solution, Touche Analyzer, to improve the efficiency of their branch while also providing better information to cross-sell and retain their clients better. Similarly to a community bank, we have a session here at the event that is with one of our large clients um, and uh, in, the, in the branch automation uh, space. Um, and uh, that's another example. So big, large bank, $100 billion bank, $2.5 billion bank, different business approaches, sure. but yet very similar need to review uh, review their uh, review their process to make sure that they're the most efficient they can be. That's fantastic. Did you want to add to that? Yeah, I was going to add a little bit more just on the tactical side. One of the things that we're trying to focus from the risk side is, is the desktop, understanding it. And as Scott was saying, the, the different channels, the different ways of getting into the product. We look at... at uh, fraud particular, how you use the product in two components. One is time of day, day of week, what are you doing? And by having an integrated strategy, we can do that from a voice, mobile, or internet channel on how you're coming in. And then secondly, (laughs) we look at how you use the product. So if you come in from a place that you normally don't and you start using the product inappropriately, we can bring the product back down and reduce the risk dynamically. Um, By having a consolidated channel like that, we also have the ability for business continuity. If uh, we see some southern FIs that have to trigger business continuity plans uh, based on hurricanes, and, and it gives us the ability to swing an entire data set without having to bring up different channels as well. Sure. Sounds very nimble. Um, so, you know, considering what your offering is, where you're heading in the market, uh, and, and looking at this coming year, which is going to be very turbulent for a lot of financial institutions, uh, what advice do you care to offer them uh, in terms of how they should be approaching? These concerns. Well, I, you know, I think there's a there's a there's probably a lot of different ways you could go with that. But one of the things that we've we've um, 
probably had the most success with in terms of a message that resonates that people realize is, is, is ringing very true to them. And that is that um, is they take a look at all these different disparate initiatives and, and the elements of managing risk and the elements of cost control. Right. Um, one of the things that can very easily happen if you don't carefully manage this as a financial institution and, and an IT function is that you come to a place like this and see all the different things and recognize, wow, this is great. Look at all these rocket ships here. Mm -hmm. And that from a very practical perspective, what we see is that these institutions, I think, would be well served to leverage as much of their existing infrastructure as possible. All right, the example we just talked about is a good example. Let's not try to cover the self-service market with five separate applications. Let's try to pursue a single unified technology that can manifest itself in five different ways. Okay, right. if we're taking a look at branch technology, for example. Um, one could uh, argue that it may be difficult to demonstrate the return on investment of, of replacing the old legacy teller platform and call center type of software. And yet, if you actually t do choose to make a decision in that direction, make sure it's one application, not three. It manifests itself differently, whether you're a teller, a new accounts clerk, or a call center person. Sure. Make sure that the business intelligence in the back office, that we've always heard about the value of having knowledge about the customer making its way to the point of sale hasn't typically happened in history. Make sure that's part of it. Make sure that's unified from day one. Um, we also see that um, it, I think it's important to make very practical decisions. Uh, don't don't throw up the baby with the bathwater. Right? Um, there's there's a lot of lot of benefit to embracing modern open technology uh, that, that facilitates integrating a lot of the different pieces you have much more than they ever could have in the past. In other words, not having to replace everything in the bank to achieve a goal, but just doing a better job of thinking through how the hip bone can connect to the leg bone. Sure. And uh, we deal with um, you know institutions of all sizes, but we have many, many, many community institutions. And a lot of the things that we hear them commenting about our service is that we're very good at helping them weld together all their different pieces. And there's an efficiency play, but there's a client experience play as well. And uh, so, you know, my, my advice is be very practical next year. Try to get the most out of what you already have. Right. Try to avoid duplicating effort as much as possible. And, uh, and that'll help both on the risk side and, and the expense side. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, it sounds like good advice. Yep. Well, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much. It's very nice to meet you and uh, you. have a good show. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. We're here with uh, Stephen Lund, who is the president of Level 4 Americas. Stephen, how are you? Very good. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Nice to uh, see you today. Listen, uh, the first question I wanted to ask you is, uh, what are you seeing in the marketplace uh, as far as, you know, what financial executives in particular should be concerned with? What, what should be top of mind for them in the coming year? Well, Nick, as we all know today, there's a, a crisis in the finance industry associated with the cost of their doing business, there have been huge mortgage write-downs, and so in every facet of the, of the banking business, there's a, an attempt to cut costs and, and bring business back in line with the, the market conditions. Sure. So one of the benefits of every level four product, whether it be testing, monitoring control, or an application, is all about reducing the cost of operating your network and increasing its availability, which also then results in uh, more income from the channel and so on and so forth. 
Fantastic. Well, uh, listen, um, you know, considering that's where you're headed, I think cost savings uh, is definitely going to be top of mind in the coming year. Uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit more uh, at the upper level. Um, how does your product or how do your products uh, help in that regard? There are three primary products in what we call the Bridge family. The entry-level product is uh, called Bridge Test. It provides automated unit and regression testing for ATM, multi-vendor XFS-based applications and reduces significantly the time it takes to manually test. So in addition to the cost savings of using a whole team of people in some great length of time, yes. you can test very rapidly and more thoroughly than you could have manually. So there's a huge cost savings there. Also, it reduces the footprint of machines you need in your ATM test lab. So there might be lower costs associated with not having so many machines and paying their maintenance and so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I assume that makes it uh, more versatile as well. I mean, you're saving costs, but it, it seems like it's a, a more versatile uh, um, way of handling it. Yes, rather than waiting your turn to get to use an ATM in the lab, Bridge Test, in essence, gives you not an ATM on your desktop, but every ATM on your desktop. Every model of every vendor's ATM with every optional hardware device. So you can simulate those and build a much better workflow, whether you're developing applications or testing applications or what have you. So that's a, a real benefit to the Bridge Test product. Uh, the second product in our product line, if you are moving upstream in terms of value, price, integration, that sort of thing, is a product called Bridge Control. Right. With the changes to the ATM environment from OS2 to Windows, we know that banks' cost to operate these networks has skyrocketed. So Bridge Control is another method of providing remote monitoring and fault resolution right. of issues at ATMs so you have fewer service calls and much, much higher availability and again lowering the cost of just maintaining and, and keeping the network up. That's fantastic. And, and those are the two products that you're showing at the show? We're showing both those products at the show. Okay. The third product in the Bridge family is an ATM application itself. It's uh, an XFS-based multi-vendor application. It's uh, a new entrant in our product line, so we're out marketing and looking for the, the first customer who would like to take the whole suite of software, everything you need to build and run an XFS-based ATM network, from an independent vendor who's not a hardware supplier. Right, I'm sure we have plenty of members who would like to uh, consider that possibility. Um, so, uh, listen, in the coming year, it's, it's bound to be a fairly turbulent year for many institutions. Uh, what, what advice do you have for them, um, you know, if they're looking at, uh, you know, saving costs? How should they approach things? You know, one of the things that Level 4 does on a regular basis is produces what I'd call opinion pieces and white papers about the issues of the day. The most recent one that we uh, have produced is a guide to more intelligent monitoring of Windows ATMs. It's not a sales brochure. It's a, this, it's a piece that says, in our experience, this is what we've seen. Mm -hmm. There's another one of those about outsourcing ATM testing with confidence. There's, there are several that are regional. You know, we operate subsidiaries in the Middle East, our corporate is in the UK, and our Americas uh, is a business unit from our UK operation. So in Europe there are uh, 
things about SEPA, the Single European Payments Area, right. so on and so forth. So I would recommend, A, that you look at ways to automate testing, mm -hmm. to do more intelligent monitoring. If you're outsourcing, we can give you feedback on how to outsource with confidence. Mm -hmm. And again, it's all about reducing cost and bringing networks back into profitability. We're here at RSA with uh, Stephen Salvador, who is Director, Risk and Compliance Solutions for Medivante. Stephen, how are you? I'm doing fine, Nick. Thanks. Great. Well, it's great to see you. Uh, listen, uh, first of all, what I wanted to ask you is, uh, given the current climate, uh, what, do you, what do you think uh, the trends are in the marketplace, especially for the coming year, and what should be top of mind for these uh, FIs that are uh, dealing with, with all these issues? Well, in the world of risk and compliance, probably the, the, top, the top issue would be uh, their credit risk and their interest rate risk exposures. But being like you of the operational risk and the IT risk world, mm -hmm. we tend not to think about those exposures. Right. But in the world of banking, those are typically the top exposures right now that need to be managed. But in our world, in the world of IT and operational risk, if we think about just those trends and those top of mind issues, um, it's the same set of exposures Nick, that we've faced for the last you know, 20 years. It's security and privacy of mm -hmm. our information assets. It's um, evolving financial crimes, the, right. the, 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 the fraudsters, the... Uh, the criminal element is still after the um, the um, community and regional FIs. Uh -huh. uh, they're still, um, but they still believe they're soft targets, so they're still targeting them for their um, their activity. Uh, and then the the role of the vendor, uh, even Medavante as a primary provider of outsourced technology, we're scrutinized in terms of the the controls that we bring into an organization. So the Industry regulators are bringing vendor risk management to, to the top of, right. of the, uh, the ever-evolving list of regulations that FIs need to look after. So uh, I think it's the same set of exposures. Uh -huh. I think um, depending on where an organization is in their, um, their growth and their life cycle in terms of uh, their, their footprint, it depends on if that bank is... Um, in a marketplace that has a high rate of crime, financial crime, then that might be their top concern. If right. they're, if they're um, in an area where uh, there is geographic issues and, uh, and earthquake zones, then resiliency is going to be their top concern, right? Mm -hmm. So it all depends on what those, what those FIs or what their marketplace looks like and what their customer base looks like, too. Sure. Maybe on a case-by-case -case basis then. Sure. Uh, but how is Medavante um, addressing a lot of these things that you're, you're delving into? And, and what is Medavante doing in general right now, and what are you showing? Um, from a um, risk and compliance perspective, which mm -hmm. is the, the line of business that I represent, sure. um, we see the, those same exposures, those same concerns uh, still being top of mind. And... We know that our customers, just like our own data centers, we need to maintain vigilance over those exposures. So from a product strategy, from an offering to the marketplace, uh, when we partner with our customers, it's, it's in 
three legs of a stool. If, if, if the listeners can imagine three legs of a stool, the security and privacy of their information assets, the, um, the financial crime, meaning the, the money laundering, the, um, the, the cross-channel fraud exposures, as well as the case management, the investigation, and the forensics of those incidents. Sure. And then the third leg, the vendor risk, the, 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 uh, the resiliency, the mission criticality that a vendor introduces into an organization when that company relies upon that vendor for a service, for a process. Right. So those are, Nick, three forms of an operational risk uh, in terms of the highest category that they might fall under, but our, our services... And our products are focused on mitigating those exposures right. in an FI. Uh, we do it. We do it in a couple of ways. If you want me to go into more, sure. Uh, feel free. I mean, we, we touched on this a little bit before, but I'm sure our, our audience would be interested. If you think about the um, the theme I'm suggesting to the listeners is a convergence, a convergence of those three legs of the stool. Not that the stool legs will become one leg and tip over, but those three legs will always be there. Right. But the surface on the top of that stool, the, the governance of those three risk disciplines, the risk assessment process of those three disciplines, and the tools, especially the tools that are used to mitigate those exposures, um, are coming together. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a concept that is um, demonstrated in some of the larger, more complex, more internationally active FIs. And we see that as a trend trickling down, so to speak, into regional and community banks and community FIs and in credit unions, the smaller organizations that perceive they have lower risk, but in a sense um, they're exposed to the same threats that the larger ones, maybe just to a smaller scale. Sure. So are you uh, basically talking about a convergence of, of risk oversight? Is that... In, in a sense, that's a good way of putting it. Um, this, this convergence is manifesting itself with um, the governance. For instance, many organizations now have a chief risk officer, and, and that person's domain would be these three risk disciplines, the security and privacy and the fraud, the compliance, the vendor risk management, the physical security, the resiliency of the organization. Right. All of those operational risk disciplines are now connected and grouped together under a, a, a common governance structure, right. meaning interconnected policies. And that's the first step that, that we see organizations taking. And the way we help, the way we partner with our customers is to offer consulting advice. Mm -hmm. Some organizations don't know where to start. They know they have a, a qualified individual, typically an information security officer, uh, a privacy officer, maybe a compliance manager that is capable of um, stepping into a larger job, sure. but maybe they need coaching, maybe they need a policy, maybe they need help articulating what that governance structure should look like and how that person get, gathers support from a committee structure across the organization. We help in a consulting role to facilitate that process. Uh, and that comes from our risk management consulting group. If you think the next step is, and most of the listeners probably are frustrated by this process. It's the risk assessment process. Right. No matter what risk discipline you're in, you're required by the federal regulators to do a risk assessment to prioritize your exposures in these areas. And it's something 
that FIs need to do each and every year. Even Metamonte does this right. each and every year. So the way we partner with them, again, is through the consulting practice. And uh, one, of our, one of our offerings, Nick, is called the Enterprise Risk Assessor. And it's a software tool that um, basically serves as the single book of record for an organization's risk assessments. Mm -hmm. The key aspect, Nick, is the streamlining. So when you are risk assessing a business unit or a product, which is at the core of what the FIs are offering, right, the customer or the products, uh, or the process that they're, their delivery channel, uh, you're looking at those three risk disciplines, the, the security of the information assets, the the risk associated with the product delivery from a fraud perspective, from a money laundering, and so forth. So the risk assessment process has to be streamlined, and our tool, the Enterprise Risk Assessor, helps with that. And then finally, it's the where the rubber meets the road, the actual transaction monitoring of, of, of um, from a fraud perspective across the various channels. Right. Uh, protecting uh, the network, making it a hard target, looking at the server access, maintaining vigilance on employee access to systems, tracking the employees once they're in the system in terms of what screens they visit, what accounts they monitor. Mm -hmm. All of those tools are part of our solution suite to our customers. So we think we have an end-to-end, -end, helping them with the governance, through the risk assessment, and then into the actual tools. And that's what we think is unique about our value proposition to, a, to an FI. That's very interesting. So, uh, you know, considering where we are uh, right now, and it's bound to be a very turbulent year uh, in 2009, uh, what advice do you have for FIs sort of um, thinking about uh, all these uh, major issues? If, um, if an organization is looking for a place to start mm -hmm. uh, in a time of limited budgets, in a time when I'm sure the CFOs and CEOs are saying, what's the payback? What's the ROI on my security and privacy investments and my risk management investments? Um, I think the key is to start slow and create a plan. I think if you, if you jump to point number three, which is we need technology, as much right. as, as much as we like that point because that's our primary business. The first two steps, do we have the right governance structure in place and do we have a streamlined and a efficient risk and control assessment process? That will save them money. That's where a lot of the return will come from because there'll be less hours involved in that process and you'll have um, greater information sharing in the first two steps so that when you get to the the selection and the implementation of your technology, whatever it may be in terms of any of those risk disciplines, um, you'll have a targeted value proposition, a greater chance of measuring your ROI on that as well. Sure. Well, that makes good sense. Um, Stephen, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure. <clears throat> We're here with Marley Gray, who is the Chief Technology Strategist for Banking at Microsoft Financial Services. How are you, Marley? Good, thank you. Hey, listen, uh, it's good to see you at the show. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, what do you think are the greatest concerns for FIs these days in terms of security and compliance? What, the, what should they be thinking about? Well, amongst the existing concerns that banks have around risk and compliance, most of them are also looking towards the future to make sure that they're 
ready and prepared for whatever new regulations um, may come out of the, the current crisis. Um, I believe everybody understands that within the next six months to a year we're going to see a great deal of regulatory changes mm -hmm. and they want to make sure their infrastructure is prepared um, to, to be able to adapt very rapidly for that compliance. Right. As well as meeting existing compliance uh, regulations across everything from payments uh, to lending um, and, and to you know, their exposures um, and how do they get visualization and get better real-time data. So that's probably what we see as foremost in their minds. Yeah, I, I think most of us see more regulation coming down the pike, uh, unfortunately. Um, what is Microsoft doing in, in security and compliance to sort of help, help these um, institutions out? Well, we see uh, security and compliance as being sort of an end-to-end -end scenario where we have to be uh, think about security and compliance and also, you know, that on top of that rides risk and how we assess that from end-to-end, -end, whether it's from the core infrastructure all the way out to the end user. And we believe that compliance has to be enforced at the end-user level. So what we've done across our product lines is embed the capabilities, for example, in Excel, where it's very widely used in our industry, uh, to be able to not only evaluate risk, mm -hmm. but also uh, build the infrastructure in, for example, in Microsoft Office SharePoint Server to build Excel services where we can centrally control critical data that we don't want to be exposed or stored on local devices and have one version of the truth uh, stored centrally and then control who has access to that information. Mm -hmm. uh, we also secure that sort of around the system with our Active Directory infrastructure that gives us this end-to-end -end story with human workflow built in because a lot of this does involve uh, humans and, and being able to automate a lot of this process as well as building in the products to provide visualization all the way from the, the lowest level employee looking at you know where they are in their training for compliance uh, to the highest C-level executive to know where they are maybe in their lending exposure mm -hmm. um, and get visualization of that data um, using things like our performance point server um, to, to very rapidly make real-time decisions uh, and then react to those decisions. Sure. No, it sounds like a fairly complete um, offering. So uh, considering the current turmoil and the climate that we're in, uh, what general advice do you have for, um, you know, the folks that come to our site, the C-level uh, decision makers at uh, financial institutions? Well, first off, you got to make sure your infrastructure has been upgraded. We have too many customers that are complacent. Um, and have old infrastructures from older operating systems, even on Microsoft. We, we still have customers that are running Windows NT4 and Windows 2000, and not even up to Windows 2003, a server on the back end. And on the, the client front end, as, as far as like uh, Windows Vista is concerned, we have a lot of um, new features like BitLocker that provides hard drive encryption just in case laptops get stolen or the... Uh, that's also embedded within Windows Server 2008 if you have a server in the branch and that server uh, leaves the branch. Uh, things like read-only domain controllers. There's a lot of uh, infrastructure that we've built into the platform. Wow. So upgrading that infrastructure, not only on the client side, 
but all the way back is very important sure um, to prepare for what we know that the storm to come is yeah no that that sounds right um, listen uh, you showed me some other uh, products or you started to uh, I think it was virtual earth and some others maybe you can tell me a little bit more about that one in particular so virtual earth is a technology that we're employing that um, allows you to look at um, you know basic roadmap information geographically but then overlay that with satellite imagery and then also flyby information that we've, we've collected over the years to get uh, information that banks are using to uh, externally allow people to locate branches and ATMs, mm -hmm. but also internally to map out risk in geographic areas where they might have mortgage exposure, mm -hmm. uh, but also look at demographics, maybe an overlay of where mass affluent uh, populations are to say, hey, maybe we ought to think about putting a branch at this new location. So Virtual Earth is a um, sort of a, a client side and a it can be used internally to, to evaluate data in a geographic format. That's great. Now you have this new product that uh, is pretty flashy out there, uh, Surface it's called? Yes, Microsoft Surface is our multi-touch, multi-user um, device that also supports object recognition. So it's really built around getting more than one person to be able to interact with the computer at once. So in banking, we foresee it as being a, a way for a personal banker and a customer to interact to look at retirement scenarios or looking at college savings or even the account opening process to get it out of that sort of environment where it's an IRS audit environment to where it's a collaborative environment. The customer feels like they're an active participant in their relationship with the bank and make it a much more intimate experience. So Surface is extremely compelling to the banking industry. That's fantastic. Is that out now? Is that a product that you're, you're actually bringing to market? It is out and available. It is ready for prime time, and uh, customers can engage with their Microsoft account teams to purchase it uh, today. That's fantastic. Anything else that you wanted to uh, tell our audience? Um, that's about it. I think that, that covers it. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you. We're here with Brian Pilla. Uh, from NCR. He's the Director of Financial Solutions, Marketing and Deployment. Brian, how are you? Great, how are you? Good. I'm very fine, thank you. Uh, listen, uh, at the show today, what, what are the major concerns that uh, you know, decision makers at financial institutions should be uh, thinking about? Uh, what, what's driving your business right now? Uh, from a from a security and uh, compliance, I would say, uh, from a global perspective, uh, fraud, specifically in an ATM channel, and how to deter fraud. I think from a, a global perspective, it's been a industry uh, an industry issue. Uh, the ATM or self service channel is a trusted channel, and uh, we as constituents of the manufacturers community need to ensure the integrity, uh, you know, of of the channel. So we take our our, our learnings globally. Um, you know, statistically, I think probably the the largest is the uh, impact fraudulent impact is card card skimming card skimming but right. not not limited to, mm -hmm. to that but I think top of mind as we talk to our customers uh, that would be card card and identity uh, theft uh, type of fraudulent activities and how can we work with them to deter that uh, through their their self-service channel or ATM channel which sure. is typically one of the most touched channels within a retail uh, banking or financial uh, in, uh, institution 
Sure. Yeah, we're, we're seeing skimming at a, as a big problem as well, and on our site that's a big concern uh, of at least the financial institutions that, that we're serving. How, how is your company addressing um, all of the issues you sort of just outlined? I know you said self-service. Sure, sure, sure. Let me take a step back first. Is that so? That you know, that's an aspect of it. So mm-hmm. we, we we deal at a more of an enterprise. So there's a couple different dynamics that's occurring in the industry today. Again, within a self-service ATM down to device levels, a migration to a more open Windows-based environment right. that is providing great, great flexibility as far as uh, customer experience, but uh, different types of interaction and transactions of value to different uh, different clients. With that comes challenges of security. So NCR Holistic looks at from an enterprise, from an enterprise wide level, from a software security, uh, mm-hmm. building into levels of, of, of software uh, security around our software products itself is truly what's driving the application of the intelligence of the ATM channel mm-hmm. uh, right down to the, the actual device itself. Our, our, our newly launches our self-serve product line um, carries through a, you know, a lot of security-minded focused around physical security as far as moving uh, not only uh, maintaining UL certified type of enclosure to higher level SEN or SENL enclosure to make it more difficult for physical intrusion. Right. Uh, to the card, going back to the card and the you know the fraudulent, we've had technologies under our NCR Secure uh, product name uh, around intelligent fraud detection, utilizing um, radio frequency uh, to detect if fraudulent devices, skimming devices, uh, or fa- uh, false facias, uh, fraudulent devices that are placed on the ATM self, linking up with a centralized management system to early detection, actually functionally shut down the ATM more. I would say a high, more higher tech integrated enterprise solution right down to the actual design uh, within the actual device itself. Uh, we call fraudulent uh, device inhibitors or FDI is we call them is that it's actually molding the, uh, the, actual, the into the form fit of the device to make it more difficult to put skimming devices sure. and augmenting that with different card reading technology called jitter type te- jitter technology that mm-hmm. actually uh, deters if you actually do get through some of the preventative measures or technologies, we, we try to make it very difficult uh, for the, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the fraudulent uh, transactions to actually be picked up off, off of the card. So we've got a, a full range scan from you know, high, higher technology enterprise level right. right down to physical security at, at the device itself. Interesting. Sounds like a full solution. Um, considering what you just said uh, and uh, sort of the su- solution you're applying, uh, what advice do you have for financial institutions out there dealing with this? I mean, how should they approach these these uh, issues? I think uh, specifically specifically from a U.S. marketplace is proactivity. Is mm-hmm. that there's a, a lot of learnings we've got we have from a, a global from a global perspective. Mm-hmm. Is that I think we as an industry need to leverage that global learning and to be as proactive as we possibly can to implement these types of technologies and solutions as proactively, not on a reactive basis, as we get hit as a financial institution or as an as an industry. So I said overall proactive activity would be key. That's great. Brian, thanks very much. Thank you. We're here with uh, Michael Pratt, who is the Chief Marketing Officer for uh, Panini. Michael, how are you? Outstanding. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you very much. Well, it's good to see you. Uh, we wanted to ask you a couple questions. Uh, first of all, you know, you've been at the show for two, three days. Uh, what do you see as the major trends? Uh, what should financial institutions really be concerned with in the coming year? Well, I, I think that as um, 
the opportunity to fund the loans that are on their balance sheets becomes more and more restricted by the availability of uh, foreign deposits and wholesale capital. Domestic deposits have become absolutely more critical. Um, you've seen some major acquisitions over the last month that were based primarily on the acquisition of domestic deposits. Mm -hmm. And so how banks can go out and capture those deposits is very, very key. Uh, they become the predominant way by which they continue to make credit available mm -hmm. at a competitive rate uh, to all their markets. The other trend that I see is the uh, increasing importance of image capture and clearing uh, for paper-based items, like checks, for example. As uh, paper-based unit costs continue to accelerate, uh, mm -hmm. up 12% last year by the Federal Reserve, and electronic clearing costs continue to decline, those banks that don't have an image capture and clearing infrastructure in place uh, will find themselves increasingly at a per-unit cost disadvantage, uh, a lack of competitive position. Sure. Yeah, we would agree cost savings is a big issue in the coming year. Well, what is uh, Panini uh, doing really to address those concerns? How can you help uh, financial institutions? You bet uh, there's a, a number of different areas that, that we try to help our FI customers. Um, the first is to make the implementation of that image capture and clearing uh, very economical and very efficient uh, and in a way that provides a quick payback. And one of the ways that we do that is in our product line, which of course is for the check image capture and micro line <laughs> capture, um, we adhere to the principle of scalability. Mm -hmm. So a bank could, for example, buy one of our products, uh, decide that additional features or functionality or processing speed was needed, and they don't have to throw that investment out and buy something new. Right. Uh, there's a very simple upgrade to the software that drives the scanner, mm -hmm. and their investment's protected, and they've obtained the benefits that they want from these new features. Right. So that allows them to um, not only protect their investment, but that scalability also means that as they look out at all of the types of capture applications that a, an FI will address, be it branch capture or remote deposit capture, or back office conversion, all of those environments are different. They all have different volumes and different processing requirements. By having scalability in our product line, the financial institution achieves some pretty significant uh, economies of scale mm -hmm. by deploying one platform, one product, one vendor, one set of supplies, one training, uh, really lowering their overall cost of deployment, and then on an ongoing basis, uh, lowering the cost of operations. That's great. Great. Good to hear. Uh, listen, uh, going into 2009, as we talked about, it's going to be a very turbulent year. Uh, what advice do you have for these guys um, in the context of your product or, or generally uh, overall for their business? You bet. Uh, my first piece of advice would be, uh, of course, within the constraints of um, risk underwriting and those sort of things, but to be aggressive. Uh, where there is chaos, there is opportunity. And for those banks that uh, see the critical importance of deposits and image capture and clearing, uh, this is an opportunity to grow your bank. It, it truly is. Uh, and then related to that is the concept that uh, small business, which, you know, there are 23, 24 million small businesses out there, uh, they very much use the check as a payment instrument and receive the check as a payment instrument. Uh, that's a large segment that's ripe for adoption on remote deposit capture.
And the advice I would offer there is really that small business is not a retail customer, nor is small business a wholesale treasury customer. Uh, They have some pretty unique needs, Mm -hmm. um, and to the extent that a bank can message and solution specific to small business, uh, they'll find a high probability of uh, success. Fantastic. Thanks very much for your time, and have a great show. My pleasure. You as well. We're here with uh, Jackie Marshall, who is the Director of IT Regulatory Compliance at ProfitStars, part of Jack Henry. How are you, Jackie? Good morning. How are you doing, Nick? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, Maybe you can uh, tell me, sort of from your perspective, from the ProfitStars perspective, what you think are the major issues and concerns uh, that institutions are dealing with in the coming year and, and sort of what they should be focusing on. Uh, from a productive standpoint? I think a a lot of the community financial institutions, uh, which we primarily work with, are taking a conservative approach to the future as far as looking at IT spending Mm -hmm. and uh, looking at uh, how to to really focus on uh, increasing their customers' confidence in their products and services. Uh, And at the same time... um, creating efficiencies, and, mm-hmm. and really uh, aligning IT and business strategies. Um, that's one of the areas that we focus on when we're working with community institutions and, and guiding them through compliance and helping them to understand the, the role of the board of directors right. and uh, executive management and, and, uh, and to stepping back and, and really taking a, a new perspective on, on the future um, and really thinking about ha- how to align these strategies. That's fantastic. Um, that is a lot of what we're seeing as well. Um, but tell me, how is Profit Stars um, approaching all those issues? What, what are you doing to help the community, especially the community bank, which I suppose is your mainstay? Yes. Yes, what we really try to focus on at Profit Stars and within all of the Profit Stars companies is is aligning IT regulatory compliance with our products and services. So in other words, serving their role as trusted advisor um, from an educational support uh, perspective. So we don't just uh, implement, help them to implement our products and services right. and support products and services, we really tie into uh, helping them to ensure successful IT exams mm-hmm. uh, by helping them to prepare for exams and respond to exam recommendations and helping them to maximize the benefits of what we are working with them on as far as products and services. That's great. Do you have anything that you're focusing on uh, at the show? Anything particular that you're you're presenting? Yes, actually, today I'm presenting mitigating risk and meeting regulatory expectations for remote deposit capture. Interesting. We are still waiting for the FFIC to finalize the guidance, uh, the standards that they expect for operation of, of remote deposit. Right. And uh, but uh, from previous guidance, and and uh, we know that uh, the standards will be based on risk. Uh, there'll be some unique perspectives uh, because of uh, the way that remote deposit capture works as far as uh, the, the uh, 
merchants are concerned and the responsibilities they have for keeping information secure. Uh, there'll be a big focus on that in the upcoming standards. So, so my goal today is, is really to present some practical strategies, um, right. some things that institutions can do to create standards and implement standards, ideally before they implement remote deposit, uh, to, uh, to ensure uh, that those standards are implemented uh, correctly. That's great. Maybe we can get you on the site soon and, and help you uh, present that to our audience as well. That would be great. I'd, I'd like that opportunity. Okay. Hey, uh, any parting advice you have for uh, financial institutions, especially in this, uh, you know, tough time? Yeah, Nick, actually uh, assessing risk for technology and for information security and also now with ID theft prevention red flags. Uh, it's an area especially community financial institutions have really struggled with the last few years and there's going to be continued focus on having a strong methodology for assessing risk and ensuring appropriate security controls. So uh, working together as a team internally, IT staff, information security, uh, BSA officer, you know, all of, all of the, the key members of your team to collaborate and to, to really look at residual risk and, and how to identify that residual risk and, and um, and address it is, is something that's definitely going to be a positive going forward. Sure. No, I think you're right. Thanks, Jackie, and um, hope to see you soon. Thank you, Nick. We're here with uh, Jose Diaz uh, with Thales eSecurity. Jose is the Director of Technical and Strategic uh, Business Development, uh, or Director of Technical and Strate Strategic Business Development. Is that correct? That's correct. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm glad I got it right. Um, Jose, uh, you know, considering the climate that we're in today and some of the turmoil that the financial institutions are going through, um, what do you think should be top of mind with them right now as they go into 2009? I think one of the biggest issues has to do with, with data protection. I think we keep seeing in the news all the, the breaches and, and account compromise. Um, I think probably the most interesting item from, from this year has been where you had the breaches such as with, with Hannaford where you, you're dealing with uh, retailers that in a sense are uh, PCI compliant uh, and still you know, data was compromised. Um, I think one of the things that we're going to start seeing is a lot of people focusing more on the intent of what PCI is trying to do, protect data in all forms and all fashions, not necessarily focusing a lot of times on, on uh, the specific letters or specific examples that they may actually bring up. It's how do you take a more holistic approach to protecting all consumer data in all forms, uh, whether it's being transmitted or stored, regardless of whether it's a public network or a private network. Uh, the other issue probably has to do more with um, authentication, I think, as you start doing more and more services for customer convenience uh, off, up, uh, online or, or starting to see some service being over over mobile devices, how do you actually protect uh, consumer information or access to the information? How do I properly authenticate an individual mm -hmm. coming in and how do I protect his authentication data so that it, it cannot be compromised when we're coming over all these uh, alternate service channels? Right. No, I think those are valid concerns, um, especially in, in light of uh, consumer confidence, right? It has to be uh, confidence not only in the financial stability of the, of the institution, 
but in the security of the institution, protecting their data, as you said. So, uh, l listen, considering what you just outlined uh, as uh, top of mind with these guys, how is uh, Thales uh, proposing to help them? Uh, I mean, from a Talos perspective, well, we've been working with a lot of the solutions we have in the in the banking segment for a lot of the transaction processing, and it's actually extending the services provided by the solutions to be able to cover not just processing transactions, but also extend it to authenticating customers, regardless of what uh, service channel they may be using. So if you think about it, when I go to an ATM or a point-of-sale terminal and I use a PIN to authenticate myself in order to retrieve money or to uh, make a purchase, uh, when you start dealing with being able to do it online or being able to do it over a mobile device, to be able to leverage that same infrastructure and saying, I am authenticating a customer uh, and I have to do it in a secure uh, method, whether it's a PIN or whether it's a password or whether it's a token or whatever it is that, uh, that, that uh, we're utilizing. Uh, we also recently acquired uh, Encypher, which also worked in a lot of solutions in the PKI space, uh, uh, tape and storage backup. We're talking about uh, data protection. Sure. So what it's allowed us to do is now have a much broader portfolio, very complementary to the solutions we offer for securing data, whether it's at rest or in, in transit or anything having to do with authentication, PKI infrastructures, uh, with certificates, be able to do it uh, in a transparent fashion. That's fantastic. It sounds like you're uh, increasing your portfolio, and, and that should be helpful. Um, so uh, going into this next year, obviously, it's, it's fairly turbulent. Uh, what advice generally do you have uh, for these guys, especially in their security responsibilities? Uh, I think, it, as you said, it is going to be challenging with the economy as far as dealing with investments and what uh, what other solution can someone purchase. And sometimes it, it may be an opportunity to actually look internally and, and, and get an assessment of how processes and things are being done in order to find, uh, be able to leverage existing uh, uh, solutions they may have or existing implementations they may have to extend into being able to uh, perhaps protect information uh, better. So I think it's a good time to, to reassess how to better leverage what they have in-house. And I think that's why, for, from our perspective, it's a good opportunity because what we are trying to do is how a customer with an implemented solution can actually utilize it to, to do more with it, how to protect the data with the same device so that the same infrastructure they have in place can actually be leveraged to do more, which in the long term actually uh, helps them in not having to make a parallel investment to how to authenticate a customer online. If I already have a device that is authenticating a customer over an ATM or a POS, can I use that system and that infrastructure to authenticate someone online instead of having to purchase a, a completely parallel or separate solution? So I think that's where um, you know customers are going to be, how can I leverage more of what I have and, and and where are some of the issues that I have to address? Sure. No, I think they'll appreciate that uh, cost savings uh, while still being effective. So that, that's fantastic. Hey, thanks very much. Uh, pleasure. We're here with David Luther, who is the Vice President, Solution Management, uh, Global Financial Services for Unisys. David, how are you? I'm great. How are you today? Good. Good. It's good to see you at the show. Uh, listen, I want to ask you, uh, you know, what is Unisys and, and yourself, of course, seeing as the uh, major trends out there uh, and theme for the show? What, what should be sort of top of mind for these financial institution executives? Well, Nick, you know, from a security standpoint, I think the top of mind is that there are more organized threats against financial institutions today that are well-funded threats 
from organized crime and and they're adapting all the time so especially in this economic climate right. uh, with mergers and acquisitions happening they're seeing more and more threats from phishing and things because they're taking advantage of the confusion in the marketplace right right I think we're seeing some of the same things of course and and trying to highlight those on the site considering what you just said um, and certainly you reviewed the security product line that Unisys has with me a moment ago what solutions uh, particularly are you applying to those those concerns well Unisys has uh, treats security as a horizontal across all of our verticals and that's public sector and federal and financial certainly one of those mm -hmm. But what we've uh, adapted in the, the most recent years is solutions that can be more nimble and can adapt to these changing threats. Right. So we're, we have solutions that look at IT threats, like attacks on your firewalls and routers. We have solutions that look at, at a higher level at your business attacks on check fraud, uh, credit card fraud, and so on. And then we actually have a whole portfolio that we put together that is not just the, the security threats on IT and fraud, but on identity management, because it really starts there. Do you know who's trying to access the system? So, you know, we try to look at the whole enterprise security picture for clients. Sure. That's fantastic. Uh, listen, just a, a quick interjection, too. Uh, what, what differentiates uh, Unisys, say, from other folks in the marketplace? Well, I think a few things. Um, one is the breadth of portfolio. We're not just a point solution. We're a, a worldwide systems integrator. So both geographic breadth, we can handle a multinational bank sure. and their security concerns. And we can also handle you know, the entire enterprise security solution suite, bringing kind of best of breed. Right. I, I have a great client example of that. We have a, a large multinational bank in Central Europe, and they were having significant fraud losses from wire fraud. Uh -huh. And so we actually took this uh, portfolio of solutions and secured their entire business operations for wire. And it was everything from identity management, how employees got in the door, to their security policy, including when waste baskets got emptied, to how they access the systems with uh, proper authentication using the same thing to get in the door to access the systems to the fraud models around are we seeing wire transfer fraud, is it insider fraud, is it external fraud. So, you know, that's a great example of Unisys applying our breadth of geographic and solution portfolio to a multinational client. That's great. Really the whole solution. Yes. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, listen, we're going into a turbulent year. Um, 2009 is bound to be tough for a lot of financial institutions. What advice, uh, generally, do you have for them uh, when they're approaching security, compliance, any other issues which are really prevalent in their mind? Well, you really think it's going to be turbulent? I think it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, first is to get a baseline because a lot of our financial institutions don't even know because security's kind of evolved for them sure. what they're using, what they have in place. So let's get a baseline first. You might find that you're using several different anti-money laundering solutions in each silo of the business, for instance. So let's get a baseline first and an audit of what you have. And, and then second, establish a roadmap. Establish your priorities based on where you are today. And, and this is something we help our clients do. Establish a roadmap of what are the highest priority security uh, tasks that you want to tackle in the coming year. And then go out and find the right partner to tackle those and implement them. Yeah, that makes good sense. Very methodical. Uh, listen, hope you have a good show, and thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, thank you, Nick. I enjoyed it. All right, bye-bye.
So we're here with uh, Kelly Shoemaker uh, with U.S. Biometrics Corporation. Uh, Kelly, what's your position with the company? I'm the Vice President of Sales and Marketing there. Fantastic. It's great to see you. Uh, listen, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. Uh, first of all, uh, as far as uh, looking at the financial market, what do you see as the major trends out there? I mean, what, what should be top of mind with these executives in the current climate? Well, of course, I take it from our perspective, but but you know what what we're seeing out there in the market yeah. is that security and audit trails are becoming very very important. Uh, from who's accessing what data at what time, who's accessing what, what resources at, at what time. Sure. From a simple standpoint that, you know, of a CEO of, a, of an institution uh, wakes up and on the morning news, all the customer data is out there in the, uh, <laughs> out there in somebody's newspaper, his stock price will plummet awfully yeah. quick. Not the ideal situation. Not the ideal situation. And so what, um, what, what mitigating that risk, I think, uh, you hear that term, uh, you know, doing risk assessments and what have you quite a bit in the industry, and, right. and being able to mitigate that risk, I think, is a primary um, focus, at least, for, for the executives at these institutions right now, at least what we're seeing. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. So how is uh, U.S. Biometrics uh, sort of addressing these concerns? Well, what we do is, it's, it's an interesting concept, is that, that we use fingerprint biometrics or biometrics in general to increase the security of data, of doorways, of, of assets of, of the institution. Right. Now, now, what's kind of interesting is typically the, the, the old uh, game has been when you increase security, the convenience factor goes way down because you make it much more difficult for the users to, to, to deal with those, those security concerns. Right. And so what we try to do with simple things like password management and I'll ask you, you know, think about how many passwords you have, right? And you have to change them every 30 days, and you got to have upper, lowercase, 15 characters with an ampersand in the middle of it. And mm -hmm. the way you mitigate that is that people, whether we like it or not, they write it down or they do something with it. I'm just using this as an example. Sure. But, but in order to facilitate um, making it more convenient for the user, what we've tried to do is we incorporate the security aspect of biometrics but it, writing the, the, the appropriate software around those pieces of hardware that you plug into your machine right. to make it so that it's more convenient for the user so they don't have to remember those passwords, they don't have to remember bringing a swipe card into the, to, you know, every day to work. And, for instance, you really know who's accessing what, when, with the audit trails that, that are provided as part of it. That's fantastic. So this is primarily for an institution and their employees? Well, it starts out that way. I, I would say that most institutions that have used our solutions have started it out using it for, for their employees. But right. it has quickly kind of migrated to, to the consumer because consumers are much more aware of identity theft than ever before. Sure. And some smart uh, institutions are using this as a marketing tool saying, hey, we're really doing something about identity theft. Come in and join uh, our our little program here. It's no charge to you, but they we'll use biometrics to identify you when you come in and do a transaction. And if it's positioned properly, not not a forcible thing, but a something that can be um, you know added to or or uh, offered as a as a as a service, uh, people are are very receptive to it. That's fantastic. Interesting idea. So um, obviously, the next year is going to be fairly turbulent for a lot of uh, financial institutions. What advice do you have for them um, in thinking about a solution like yours? I mean, how should they approach something like that? Well, you know, the overall theme, actually, it, uh, that you hear a lot of these days is, is productivity, right? Productivity sure. and customer service are the two main things that, that you, that you want to um, 
incorporate. Productivity and, and return on investments kind of go hand in hand. Whenever you invest in any kind of technology, you want to get that return very quickly. Right. And, and, and in this type of environment, people have the misconception that, that, that using biometrics of some sort is really expensive and, and hard to use and difficult. But like I was saying earlier, the, the fact that you can uh, increase the security monster, you know, a huge amount, but at the same time raise the convenience level for your employees or consumers using it really makes a big difference and can make that bottom line uh, return quicker. Yeah, I'm sure our financial guys would appreciate that. So, uh, listen, thank you for your time. You are welcome. And we hope to see you soon. Wonderful. Thank you. All right, bye-bye.